Can you open this up in a word of prayer? Father, we're so grateful to be here at camp this week. Lord, what an incredible work you're doing among us, God. We're just so thankful to be a part of it. Uh, I know that uh, there will be many stories told for years to come because of what you do this week. Uh, not just stories on the game field and the mud pit, though those will certainly be told, Lord. Uh, I know that there will be many stories told of how you rescued sinners from the darkness. There will be stories told of how people were born again to new life by the Spirit of God. And Lord, we look back at church history and see that there have been so many great movements in Christianity that have happened that started at weeks like this with high school students, with college students. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work this week. Let this group of people go out from this place to all of our various churches and have a massive impact for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, transform us in such a way this week that we would go home and be agents of transformation in the lives of the people that you put in our path. Lord, let our neighbors be changed because of what you're doing here this week. Let our classmates be changed. Let them see the truth of the gospel because of what you do in our hearts this week. Lord, I pray that as these students are saved, as they're ministered to, as they grow in holiness, that they would go out from this week and because of a move or a mission trip, Lord, that there would be people in Maine who come to know Christ because of what happened here this week. People in Nicaragua who are saved because of what you did in someone's heart this week. People in Uganda who grow in their walk in Christ because of a way that they're ministered to by someone in this room. Lord, let the impact of your word this week spread mightily across this earth and let your glory be seen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the title of the session this morning is, you know, somebody tell me what it is. Spiritual growth plan. That's what you're here for. Okay. Spiritual growth plan. Sorry. I had to look it up because that was not my original title. Uh, my original title was how to stay high after camp. And I cannot understand why Josh didn't stick with that title. I emailed him. He just kind of changed it on me, you know? Uh, I don't know if you've thought about what happens at camp. You know, we all have this idea of kind of the spiritual high that you leave camp with. We've all talked about the, just the spiritual high that you go home with. Like, man, I am on fire for Christ. I'm passionate about the gospel. I want to see God's glory on display to my neighbors and my classmates and my coworkers and my family. Like, I'm just excited about what the Lord is doing, what he's teaching me this week in his word and the fellowship I've had with his people. You go home, right? You leave here on Friday with this spiritual high. And then uh, for many of us, many of you have experienced this. Three weeks later, you're praying, Lord, what happened? Where did that spiritual high go? Why am I not passionate about Christ the way I was that last day of regen? Lord, why are my affections for Christ so dull? God, why am I so scared to talk to this person about the gospel? Why do I feel like such a weak sauce Christian? And so that question then is, how do we maintain that spiritual high after camp? How do we take camp home with us, as it were? How do we continue that spiritual growth that God has started in our hearts this week? Well, we need a spiritual growth plan. So that was me walking you from my original title to why Josh called it spiritual growth plan. <laughs> I still like my title better. I stick to my title. The title of the sermon for the website is Staying high after camp. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, how do we maintain that spiritual high when we get home from camp? Maybe it's good for us to ask, why do we lose it? Maybe it's good for us to ask, 
How did we get it in the first place? I mean, exactly what is the dynamic of camp that creates that spiritual high, right? How do I, how do we package it and sell it? How do I get that in a bottle? How do I continue that spiritual growth in my life after I get home? Um, Maybe it's good for us to think about what we do at camp that creates that spiritual high or that puts us in the path of God's grace in a way that he works in our hearts so powerfully at camp. How does that happen? How do I get more of that? How do I get that goodness in me? Think about what we do at camp. Let's think in three categories. Bible intake. Prayer. And fellowship. Think about Bible intake this week. Like, would you think it would pretty, probably register pretty high on the Richter scale, right? Do you measure Bible intake on a Richter scale? You should. Think about the sermons that you listen to all week long. The breakout sessions that you go to. The small group discussions where you talk about the Bible. The quiet times that you have. It's built into the schedule. And even as I was walking over here this morning after breakfast, seeing some of you sitting out under the trees and out by the lake and Bible's open. And I'm like, yeah, and I was praying for you guys. I'm like, man, praise the Lord. That's awesome. That we have devotional time built into the schedule for you to just sit down. There's nothing else scheduled for right now. Just sit down with your Bible, spend some time with the Lord. Isn't that good? So you spend all this time listening to sermons from the Bible that are explaining the Bible to you. You go to small group and you discuss the Bible and talk about the Bible and think about how does this apply to my life and what am I supposed to do with what Austin just said or what Josh just preached to me? Then you're like walking to dinner or lunch and you're talking about the Bible with another believer along the way, right? You're thinking about the Bible, talking about the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, listening to the Bible. I mean, it's like Bible, 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 right? Lots of Bible intake at camp. This is one of the reasons that you leave camp with a spiritual high. Think about prayer. You pray alone in that devotional time on the schedule. You pray in your small groups. Maybe you you pray when we go to lunch or dinner, right? And we get together in the main sessions and there's praying at the beginning and then praying before the sermon and then praying after the sermon and praying before we're dismissed and then praying after the dismissal, before the dismissal to pray for the dismissal, right? It's like, before I, before I pray and then dismiss you, I just want to pray for the dismissal and pray for small groups to which you will be dismissed. You know? I mean, we're like praying a lot at camp. You're praying a lot at camp. Then think about fellowship. We're coming together to this place with the sole purpose of thinking about who Christ is, what he's done, and how he's revealed himself to us through his word. And we're, we're going into the main sanctuary there, and we're, we're singing about these great spiritual truths. We have a, a worship leader who has carefully selected songs with rich lyrics and deep meaning, and sorry for spitting on you. <laughs> we're like... We're singing these incredible things. There's this precious fellowship there. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite parts of camp is I'm standing there and I'm hearing all of your voices singing how great you are. When Christ shall come with shouts of adoration, we're all singing. My heart is just stirred with passion for Christ. And you think, we're singing together, we're reading the Bible together, we're studying the Bible together, we're listening to sermons from the Bible together, discipleship is happening, small group discussion time, there's all this like, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that's going on all over the place at camp. Like right now, you'd be like, boom, there's some people discipling each other, it's everywhere, right? (laughs) Why aren't you guys in the breakout sessions? Right? There's like discipleship happening everywhere. There's, you're, you're seeking wise counsel from people who are further along in their walk with Christ. Right? That's a form of fellowship. 
this, these things, Bible intake, prayer, fellowship, the fact that these are so structured into the schedule of camp is not an accident. This is intentional. Camp is centered around these things because the Bible centers the Christian life around these things. These are things that are known as the spiritual disciplines. There's more than just three of them, but they break up into three categories. The word, prayer, and fellowship. The simple reality is that a large part of the reason that so many people get saved at camp is because of all the spiritual disciplines that are happening at camp. A large part of the reason that so many believers walk away from camp on this spiritual mountaintop kind of experience is because of the richness of the spiritual disciplines being so consistently practiced throughout the week. The interesting thing is, part of the reason we feel so close to Christ as believers when we leave camp is because we've been so faithful to do what his word tells us we should be doing while we're at camp. The problem is, the Bible doesn't say, do these things once a year at camp for one week. These are the things that are meant to characterize every week of our lives. This is what normal Christianity is supposed to look like. Not mud pits and, you know, fighting over the lake and two sessions a day and small group discussions, but the word, prayer, fellowship, these things are meant to be normally, uh, normal characteristics of your everyday, every week life. And part of the reason you go home and you lose that camp high, so to speak, is because we stop doing these things when we go home. All of a sudden we think we're too busy to live a normal Christian life. And so I don't have time to read the Bible. Now, I don't, I don't have time to meet with my leader about my soul. I don't, I don't have time to spend in prayer. Have you seen my schedule? Have you seen how many classes I'm taking this semester? I get it. We live very busy lives. But our lives can never be so busy that we neglect the very most important things. So, turn with me to... 1 Timothy 4. I want to talk about a couple of verses this morning that I think challenge us in this regard. Really challenge us to take camp home, as it were. 1 Timothy 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10 in 1 Timothy 4. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 9. This saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. And as you look at these verses, there's really kind of two primary things I see here about how to grow as a Christian. The first is right at the beginning of verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So one, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. We'll talk about that for a second. Two, it says rather or instead, Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Another way to say this might be, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, or in other words, ignore unbiblical nonsense. Instead, do what the Bible says about how to grow as a Christian. I think that's a warning to us, because so often in Americanized Christianity, there are popular books and blogs and Christian websites and even some churches, not the ones that you go to, but lots of churches out there, um, parachurch organizations that are 
all centered around irreverent, silly myths instead of biblical truth. Instead of disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. My wife and I recently went to Sedona, Arizona. Anybody been there? Yeah. We live about 45 minutes from there, so it's kind of a hop, skip, and a jump for us. I could almost hit it with a rock from my house. Uh, I wish I could see it from my house. Uh, It's beautiful. There's like these gorgeous red rock spires everywhere. And you're like, man, God spent some extra time working on Sedona because this is legit, right? And uh, it's it's a pretty popular place because it's so beautiful and because of the nature, the natural beauty there and the the nature trails and things like that. So my wife and I went on our 12-year anniversary to this place. 12 years with the woman of my dreams. God is good. I know. Uh, And so we go to Sedona, Arizona, and it's a fantastic place. But here's the thing about Sedona. Um, it's, It's a lot like Venice Beach, for those of you from L.A., in like the kind of people it attracts. Um, You know, people who... Um, say weird things and do weird things and believe weird things. And so if you like Google, this is the best. If you don't tell your parents, I told you this. If you Google Sedona videos on YouTube, there's like weird guys, like big, like fat, like middle-aged guys that are like hiking in Sedona. And they're like, so, okay, when you look up at this big rock here, see the triangle right there? And you're like, does he mean like the... Okay, I guess that's kind of a triangle. See the triangle? This was carved by the ancient Aztecs to point the way to the fifth dimensional portal. (laughs) As we get closer, I can just feel the energy coming off of this thing. You know, and you're like, are you kidding me right now? This guy is joking, but he's dead serious, and it's awesome. I watch these videos for entertainment, and I laugh at this poor soul, and then I pray for his salvation. I go to Sedona, I look for him. Where's the fifth dimensional portal guy? I'm gonna share the gospel with that guy, because he is super weird. And I'm afraid that too much of Christianity is categorized by those kind of like weird, mystical experience related things, instead of just pointing people back to the scripture for their spiritual growth. I'm afraid that too much of Christianity has got that kind of flavor of Aztec. By the way, the Aztecs never lived in Sedona, okay? Right? And too much of Christianity can tend to have this kind of weird, mystical, fifth dimensional kind of, they might not say those things, but it can get weird. And you need to be careful Be careful who you trust to tell you how to grow as a Christian. Listen, you look to the word of God to tell you how to grow as a Christian. Look to your leaders in your church and your your pastors in your church and ask them, what does the Bible teach? Show me from the word how to grow as a Christian. We need to ignore irreverent, silly myths and discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. There's a a classic John Piper quote. Um, You should write this down. It's on page 44 of Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who has a photographic memory and just remembers page numbers of great quotes. I have friends like that. They're weird. I remember this because it is the book I have most frequently pulled off my shelf and opened to page 44 to read this to people in my office. And he says, you don't have to know a lot of things your life to make a big difference in this world. You don't have to master a lot of things. You don't have to have a high IQ or a high EQ. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to master a lot of things for your life to make a colossal impact on this world. You just have to know one thing and be mastered by it. You just have to know one great, glorious, eternal, life-changing reality called the gospel and be completely and radically set on fire by it. And your life will have a significant impact on this world and on age to come. I'm afraid that too often we're looking for the next thing 
We're looking for all the, the means and the methods and the lists of how to do this or that and the fancy new technique for how to do this thing. And I'm afraid we forget that God has revealed himself to us in his word. We don't have to master a lot of things. We just need to know one great thing, the gospel, and be mastered by it. So Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with those irreverent, silly myths. Instead, train yourself for godliness. This word for train is gymnazo in the original language. Uh, this is where we, it sounds like gymnasium, because this is where we get our word gymnasium. We get it from the Greek word gymnazo, which means to train or to discipline, right? The picture here is the Christian as an athlete in their spiritual growth, right? Imagine this. You walk into a gym, and there's guys over there doing push-ups, and guys over there doing pull-ups, and there's some benches lined up in the back with dudes spotting each other doing like 450 pounds on the bench press, right? Is that a lot? I obviously don't lift weights. There's dudes over here doing sit-ups, and guys over here doing squat thrusts. Do they still do those things? And those are brutal. And right all over the place you're looking, and there's people training, right? They're training themselves. They're disciplining themselves. And you're looking over, why are these people doing this? Because of the benefits that come with it. Because of the results that it gives. The Bible pictures the Christian life as training yourself for the purpose of godliness. So imagine you walk into that room and there's people pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups and lifting weights and all of that's going on all over the place. And it smells like sweat and you're like, whoa, wow. And these people are going crazy in there. And then you blink and you open your eyes and it's a church. There's a guy up front and he's preaching. And there's people sitting there in the pews and they're jotting down notes. Right? There's disciplined focus on the word. There's some people in the back knelt down in a circle praying for the hearts of people hearing the word. Right? And there's some people outside that have walked out because they got some conviction in their hearts that they need to talk to somebody about. They're outside talking about the word, talking about Christ, right? There's people over here praying for each other and a guy over there sitting down with his Bible, just spending time one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. They're training themselves. And then you blink again, you're back in the gym and it smells like sweat again. That's the picture. The Christian is someone who disciplines themselves for the purpose of godliness, for the, the benefits that come as a result. And this, this these verses here, this is where we get the idea of spiritual disciplines. We're disciplining ourselves for spiritual purposes. So um, I am teaching right now our college students through the summer uh, a series through the spiritual disciplines. We're just walking through each one. In the process, the elders at our church asked me to start posting all of these lessons on our website. I tell you this because if you go to canyonprescott.org, and click on the elders blog, you can see the list I'm going to share with you this morning, some of the things we've already talked about, along with in the weeks and months ahead, I'll be continuing to post about these things. And so if you're interested in this list, or if you're like, slow down, professor, I can't get all this down, just go to canyonprescott.org. Uh, Canyon Bible Church of Prescott is my church. That is our website, and all of this is there on the site for you. I have a PDF list of the spiritual disciplines, or as I like to refer to them, the habits of grace. Um, the habits of grace. I think it's a good way to think about this because it's not just, you know, it's not just spiritual discipline. Sounds like it's focused on me. I'm just disciplining myself. The reality is that all of the spiritual disciplines are focused on Christ. It's about enjoying more of Jesus. So when I think about the spiritual disciplines, I think about three categories. Hearing his voice, Bible intake. Having his ear, which is prayer. And belonging to his body, fellowship. And I actually stole that idea of the spiritual disciplines in three categories from a book by David Mathis called The Habits of Grace. And I would strongly recommend it to you. It's short, it's phenomenal, it's helpful, it's biblical. It avoids irreverent, silly myths, and it helps you to train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And so I want to commend that book to you. Uh, 
Basically, when you think about the spiritual disciplines, these three categories, Bible intake, prayer, and fellowship, all of the spiritual disciplines can be listed under those three. And so think about this for a second. Bible intake. This includes reading your Bible, Bible study, studying your Bible, memorizing Bible verses or Bible passages or Bible paragraphs or Bible books. Bible meditation. This is thinking over the truths of the Bible and Bible awe and application. I mean, it's helpful to think about these different means of Bible intake because they each have different benefits, right? You read the Bible and you get this breadth of understanding of how God has revealed himself to us. You study your Bible. And you get clarity about specific truths as you dig into several verses at a time and just try to unpack the truths that are in there. So you, you read your Bible, you study your Bible, and I would strongly encourage you, if you're a believer, you need to memorize the Bible. Pick some great passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 will go so far in your life. It's the first verse I ever memorized. It's the verse I've probably used the most. No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way of escape so you can stand up under it. Dude, do you know how many times in a moment of temptation I have said, no temptation is overtaking me except that which is common to man. This is common to man. People have been going through this for hundreds of years. They were faithful. I can be faithful because God is faithful. He won't let me be tempted beyond what I'm able. That means in this temptation right now, I don't have to give in. This isn't more than I can handle. I can say no to this temptation. God is faithful. He'll provide a way of escape. Okay, Lord, what's my way of escape from this? I'm getting off the computer. I'm walking out of the room. I'm going to stop talking to that person because I'm starting to get angry with them. I need to talk to you about this later. Whatever it is, right, there's a way of escape. Do you know how often it has served me the fact that I spent the time to discipline myself to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13? And I could tell you about a host of other passages that God has graciously allowed me to memorize and he has used in my heart and my life over and over and over again. I would commend the spiritual discipline of Bible memorization to you. It is huge. Uh, And if you want some motivation on this, Google David Platt, Romans 1 through 8, YouTube, and listen as David Platt quotes Romans 1 through chapter 8. Because he memorized eight chapters of Romans. And you just sit there and listen to him quote it. They're like, this is amazing. You want some motivation to memorize the Bible? Watch that YouTube video. That's good stuff right there. Uh, We need some heroes like that. So, Bible reading, Bible study, Bible memorization, and Bible meditation. And when I say meditation, I'm not talking about the kind that the strange guy in Sedona would tell you about, right? Sit down, free your mind, become one with the universe. Let the universe fill you. Like, that sounds really painful. (laughs) right that's not what i'm talking about here when the bible talks about meditation is not emptying your mind but filling your mind with truths of scripture the picture of bible meditation is when you take a bite of that ruth's chris steak right you don't just like Like, whoa, 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 you're eating that steak all wrong, buddy. Time out. I call foul, right? You eat a Ruth's Chris steak, like, slow cut. Watch the juices drizzle out. Fork. Swirl it around in the juices a little bit. Bring it to your mouth slowly, slowly. Drop the fork. Chew slowly. Let the juices fill your mouth. Enjoy. Think about what it's like to eat a medium rare steak. Yes. Right? You eat a Ruth's Chris steak differently than you eat Burger King. Right? Because Ruth's Chris is the best steak on the planet. And because you spent 75 bucks on a steak, you better take your time and enjoy it. Right? So it's wonderful. It's marvelous. And so you chew on it. 
you think about it, you, you're like, you're meditating on the wonder of the steak, right? <laughs> That's the picture of Bible meditation. You take a Ruth's Chris steak of a verse, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, or Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, or Philippians 2, 9 through 11, right? You take these great verses, you fill your mind with them, and you begin to just chew them over slowly in your mind and enjoy them, learn from them, pray them back to the Lord, think about the meaning of them, right? There's like a preciousness to Bible meditation, and Bible awe and application. And I would just say, as you do all of those other things, you fold in Bible awe and application, right? As you read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, meditate on the Bible, you're folding in awe and application. And I say it that way because too often we think the goal of reading the Bible or studying the Bible is to create a list of things I need to do differently. Man, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop looking at that. I got to stop saying this word. I got to stop talking this way to my parents. And I got to start doing this and start doing this and start doing this. And we generate these lists. Sometimes that's helpful. But that's not all that the Christian life is. The Bible talks about the Christian life of growth and spiritual transformation as a spiritual process by which we come to the word. And yes, yes, we're convicted of things. Wow. This says flee sexual immorality. I've been engaged in sexual immorality. I have to stop. This is a particular item that must change. That's good. But there, if you go to the Bible and read the Bible and you don't walk away with a list of five things to do, that's okay because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? The Lord will use his word to transform you from the inside out not into the person who has a list of 10 things to do and 10 things not to do, but as a kind of person who hates sin and loves righteousness. He'll transform you from the inside out. This is why Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3. He's talking to them about what it means to be a minister of the new covenant. And he says, we're not ministers like Moses was a minister. Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And you can go read this story in the Old Testament. He says, Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And the glory of God was shining from his face. And the people of Israel said, no, no, no. Put a veil over your face. We're scared of the glory of God. It was almost like they said, look, just give us the rules. We don't want the glory. We're scared of it. The picture that Paul paints in 2 Corinthians 3 was the glory was meant to show them what the end of the law was. The end or the, the telos, the goal of the law was to reveal the glory of God to them so that they would be changed from the inside out into the kind of people who love different things. And as their desires are changed from the inside out, their life changes on the outside. The problem was the Israelites said, we don't want the glory. Just give us the rules. Right? Now fast forward to 2 Corinthians 3, and Paul says, we're not like Moses, who covered his face with a veil so that they wouldn't see the glory. Right? Instead, 2 Corinthians 3, he says, but beholding the glory, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we come to the word, we behold the glory of God. We behold the glory of God shining in the face of Christ Jesus. And no longer blinded by the God of this world from seeing the glory, 2 Corinthians 4, we now are being transformed to become more like him. And so don't always think you got to walk away from the Bible with a list of five things to do. You should. If there's five things that come up as you're reading the Bible that you're not doing, you should write them down. You should try to start doing those things. You should pray God will help you. But recognize that it's not just direct application. There's also a sense of transformation through awe as we behold Christ. Like Paul says, Philippians 1.21. Uh, let me just turn there because I'm going to misquote it. You need to get this right. I ought not misquote Philippians 1.21. 
He says, no, not it. Philippians 3, 7, good thing. Uh, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul didn't just say, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. This is what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a greater affection. My greater affection for Christ changes the way that I live because I don't love sin as much as I used to. I love Christ more than I used to. And the greater affection draws me towards Christ and away from sin. It has an expulsive power. It expels sin from my life as I'm drawn towards Christ because I behold his glory in his word. So, all of that to say, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness by means of Bible intake. Bible intake. Second, prayer. We... We see all over the place in scripture calls to pray alone. Jesus said, when you pray, don't pray in public like the hypocrites who love to be seen. Go pray in secret and your father who hears you in secret will reward you, right? He will hear you. The the picture here is we don't only pray in public. That's not to say we don't pray in public. It's to say we don't only pray in public. God calls us to private personal communion with him where we talk to him. J.C. Ryle said, what a man is when he, when he is on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So you ever wonder, I wonder how I'm doing in my walk with the Lord. I wonder how I'm doing in my relationship with Christ. Well, the answer to that question is, how's your personal private prayer life going? What's it look like? You know, if I, if I showed up, what would I hear you saying to the Lord? Do you have any private prayer life? What do you talk to him about? How long do you talk to him for? What what kind of personal private prayer life do you have? Take your prayer life, all the times that you pray, subtract all the times that other people are there, what's left. That's how you're doing with the Lord. J.C. Rowell said, what a man is when he is on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So praying alone. Uh, constant prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines. Constant prayer. Have you ever read these verses that say things like pray without ceasing or pray constantly? It's almost like, oh, sorry guys, I just read that verse and I realized I can't teach this session anymore. I haven't supposed to be praying right now. Sorry, I gotta go. Matt, what are you guys doing in here? You're all supposed to be praying right now. We're supposed to be praying constantly, right? Like, what, I just can't do anything else because I'm supposed to be praying constantly? By like your parents come up like, what are you doing in there? Come out, it's time for breakfast. I'm praying, leave me alone. (laughs) When are you going to be done? I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. (laughs) I'll see you in heaven. (laughs) Right? Like what's this supposed to look like? It's almost like you read these verses and it's like, pray without ceasing. They're like, you feel like somebody just hit you with a baseball bat. Wham! Like, ah, that was not very encouraging. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do about that, you know? Like, I don't even know how to apply this. What is this supposed to look like in my life? Pray without ceasing. I think the picture is pray without ceasing, praying constantly. Um, At one point, Paul says, pray constantly with all prayer. You're like, huh? (laughs) Right? I think the picture is that your soul is in a constant posture of prayer. It's not that you're just talking and talking and talking and talking to the Lord all the time, but that you're always realizing his nearness. You're always talking with him in any given moment about whatever's going on. Wherever you go, you're, he's with you. And you're realizing his nearness to you, right? When you have a free moment, you're, you are, you're talking with him about what's going on. Maybe you're sitting in class and you don't understand what the teacher's saying. And your natural response of your soul because it's inclined towards prayer. It's inclined towards nearness to him. The natural response of your soul is, Lord, I, I don't understand what my teacher's talking about. Will you help me right now? I, I want to get this, God. Or you're at home doing your homework. And you're like, I am so frustrated that all my friends went out and I have to do this homework. Right? 
It's like, God, I need your help to have a better attitude right now, right? Or your little brother or little sister is, nyah, 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 nyah. it's purely hypothetical. That never really happens, right? And you're praying, even as you're talking to them, because you can do this. I can pray for your heart right now that you would be changed and transformed, even as I'm talking to you about being changed and transformed, right? You can do this. Even as you're talking and interacting with your brother and sister in your heart, you're asking the Lord, give me patience, Lord. Help me not to blow up to them in anger, right? There's this constant posture of prayer to your heart. So pray alone. Pray constantly. Um, Praying corporately. I don't know if you've ever thought when you come to church, somebody gets up front and prays. We're all standing together in the congregation, uniting our hearts, as it were, in prayer to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about what a transforming effect that can have on you. How God intends to use that in your life as you think about and agree with what that person is praying and you're thinking, yes, Lord, that is what I want. Yes, God, I pray you would do that. Lord, that's what we want in this room. Help us, Lord, right? So praying alone, praying constantly, praying corporately. I consider fasting, which is one of the spiritual disciplines, to fall under the category of prayer. Uh, Fasting is when you intentionally choose to go without something that you have every right to, like food or technology. You've heard of people doing a technology fast, right? Whatever it is, giving up something that you're normally used to and that you have every right to for the purpose of devoting yourself to prayer, right? And the picture is, right, I'm not going to eat lunch today. You shouldn't do this at camp because it's against the rules, actually. You have to be at all the meals. Mm -hmm. The picture is, I'm not going to eat lunch today. Instead, When my tummy hurts, I'm going to be reminded to talk to the Lord. God, I'm hungry right now. My body is telling me I need food to survive. Lord, help me to remember that you said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, I need you even more than I need food. If I starve to death today, I need you more than food. God, make me that kind of a person. Lord, change my heart, right? And so fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting is meant to motivate us to pray. Journaling. I know 10 hands go up at this point and 15 people are thinking, journaling, that's not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You're right. Journaling is not in the Bible. And if I had a list of the spiritual disciplines, which I do, which you can find on canyonprescott.org, I would put an asterisk next to journaling and say, This is an optional discipline. It's not biblically commanded or expected of believers, but it has been proven to be a helpful spiritual discipline throughout church history. All of the greatest people that you and I know about, people of the great heroes of the faith, they were people who kept a journal. And this journal doesn't have to be, today is July 19th. Woke up at 7.04 a.m., Leisurely stroll downstairs to have cocoa puffs for breakfast. Struggled because I really wanted Captain Crunch, which we all know is the greatest cereal. But cocoa puffs was all we had, so I had cocoa puffs for breakfast. Little brother was irritating at the breakfast table again. I prayed for his salvation. (laughs) Right? It doesn't have to be like a categorical list of everything you did for the day, but a journal is something that allows you to stop at some point in the day and just reflect on spiritual things, and the habit of writing something down forces you to think more clearly about it. You know, John Piper says, writing is thinking. So he says, sometimes I'll start writing about something before I fully understand it, because the act of writing about it helps me understand it. Because the the act of trying to put it into words that clearly express what I'm thinking forces me to think more and think more clearly. So keeping a journal forces you to think more clearly about what God's doing in your life, what you have to be grateful for. My wife, for example, keeps, she calls it her gratitude journal. She is on the third one now. She, before I left for camp, she was on like 2,060-something things to be thankful for. But she just written down for years. She's just been writing ways that God has provided ways that God has answered prayer, ways that God has worked in our lives, things we have to be thankful for, all of these things. You know what? My wife 
is a seriously thankful person. And I'm convinced it's because she disciplines herself to keep a journal in which she writes down things to be grateful for, and it forces her to constantly be thinking, what do I have to thank the Lord for right now? What's he doing that I can be grateful for? You know what? You see things that you might not otherwise see. It might just totally fly under your radar. So, keeping a journal. Optional discipline, not biblically, biblically commanded, but highly recommended. The spiritual discipline of solitude. Now, this is a fancy way to say quiet time. Just spending some time quietly, right? You could call this airplane mode, right? Just turn off the notifications. Find a place where you can be alone. Spend some time quietly thinking about your life, thinking about the Lord, reading his word, talking to him. And it doesn't have to be like an extended period of time. Find 15 minutes in the morning to do this or pick a day out of the summer. Say, I am taking a personal spiritual retreat. It's just me and my Bible. I'm leaving my cell phone in the drawer in my bedroom. I'm going to spend some time with the Lord at the lake, wherever. Or a spiritual weekend retreat. Or a week in Gloriana, New Mexico, for example. Um, so the spiritual discipline of solitude, just taking some time to be quiet before the Lord. So those are all under the category of prayer. So Bible intake, prayer, and fellowship. I would say, if I had to guess, even though your generation considers itself to be a highly relational generation, I would say that fellowship is probably one of the um, most underestimated disciplines of your generation. You don't realize how much you need other people. And it's because you think you know everything. Sorry to be the person to break that to you. I am often the same way. I think I already know everything, so I don't need help from everyone. But the word reminds us that pride comes before the fall. So, think about the spiritual disciplines of fellowship. There's a partnership in the gospel that happens in the church as believers come together and partner in the common mission of advancing the gospel in this world. Right? Christ's last words for us were to give us something to do to go tell people about him, to go make disciples of all nations. Guess what? We're not done yet. We still need to keep doing that. That's still our mission, and it's still great. So, as you think about fellowship, think about this partnership in the gospel. Think about corporate worship. As you come every Sunday and sing together and pray together, study the word together, Right? And then talk with other believers. Think about the transforming effect that this can have on your life. Listening to sermons together. Seeing people baptized. Being baptized after you're saved. But then also not just recognizing your own baptism as a spiritual discipline, but participating in other people's baptism. In other words, when people in my church are getting baptized, I am standing there thinking, yes, Lord. So I'm listening to them share their testimony about how God saved them. I'm thinking, yes, God, that's what you did in my life. Man, God, you are greatly to be praised. Look at these five people getting baptized this morning. Thank you, Lord, for adding them to our number and our church. Praise you, God. This is awesome. And they talk about the gospel. We think about the gospel. And baptism is a picture of the gospel. And we need this. The Lord's Supper falls into the same categories. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're forgetful people. We need reminders. And God is wise to give them to us in things like baptism, the Lord's Supper. These all fall into the category of fellowship. Um, and then I would say, and this is why I say, fellowship is probably the least appreciated discipline in your generation, is because fellowship includes discipleship and seeking godly counsel. Discipleship is the classic, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's spending time with someone to build a friendship with them for the purpose of mutual spiritual growth. We need discipleship, right? Paul told Timothy, the things that I have entrusted to you, 
teach also to faithful men who will be able to entrust to others also. You see the picture of the baton pass there. We need this. You need someone who's further along in their walk with Christ than you, who can teach you about what it looks like to walk with Christ, who can go back over this list of spiritual disciplines with you because Jason went way too fast. Right? People who can help you in practicing these spiritual disciplines. People who will pray with you about these things. And then seeking godly counsel. You know what? Proverbs 4, 7 is such an important verse for the Christian. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Right? Here's the answer. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. The picture here is, you want wisdom? Go get it. Come on. Don't just sit there praying for wisdom. Go get it. Find it. Find somebody that's got it. Hey, you got wisdom over here? Hey, how long you been walking the Lord? Come on, I need some wisdom, right? Who's got some wisdom? I'm going to find it. Is it back here? Where is it? Right? The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Pursue it. Go after it. Run hard for wisdom. You need wisdom, so go get it. Find the people that are further along in their walk with the Lord. Say, what do I do about this? Man, I've been tempted so much the last couple of months to be angry with my parents. I know I'm not supposed to be. I don't want to be, but I keep seeing this in my heart. I don't know what to do. You know what you do? Find somebody with wisdom and talk to them about it. And guess what? God has mercifully, graciously, in his kindness, put those very people in your midst right now, this week. They're called youth pastors, youth leaders, volunteer staff. God has graciously, for many of you, given you believing parents. Dare I suggest that you seek your parents for wisdom? Did I dare you next time you're struggling with something to go to your mom and dad? They're like, you know what I'm really struggling with? Will you guys pray for me about this? Because I just, what, what do you guys think I should do next? You know, what do you think, what does repentance look like in this situation for me? And your parents are going to go, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going to be like, hang on a second. Did you see that? What just happened? He's going to Camp Regen every year. Right? <laughs> and then, but God is, for those of you with believing parents, and even for those of you with unbelieving parents, right? There's, there's times when it's appropriate for you to go to your parents and ask them for wisdom, ask for their help in thinking about your life, what college you're going to go to, and how you should be thinking about dating, and how you should practice patience with your younger siblings. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, Seek wisdom in those things. So these are the habits of grace, the spiritual disciplines, as it were. Bible intake, prayer, and fellowship. It's because we do these things so much at camp that we often have this spiritual high. But God doesn't only call us to do these things once a week at camp. Right? We need to take camp home with us, as it were. We need to continue to do these things when we get home because do you know what? You might listen to this list and be like, what was that, like 20-something things? You want me to do all of that? That's a huge list of things to do, Jason. I think like, wow. I mean, how am I supposed to do all of those things? Well, I, I would suggest to you how you think about this list matters. There's different kinds of lists. For example, there's a weekend task list. It has things like clean the gutters, wash the minivan, replace the screen in the living room. I'm already getting weary of we reading this list. And there's 34 more things on it for this weekend. Right? We think about a task list and we're like, dude, killing me. We want that to be over with. We want to get those things done. We're not looking forward to them. We're probably going to procrastinate this list. But there's another kind of list. The scientific name for it is dessert menu. <laughs> this is a list we love, right? It has things on it like tiramisu, <laughs> cheesecake, chocolate pie, yeah, ice cream. Right? You, in fact, if you go to a restaurant and there's only four things on the dessert menu, you're practically like, 
You, you call this a dessert menu? That's not a dessert menu. There's four things on here. That's why I like it when you go to the Cheesecake Factory. Because it's, it's so big, it's got to be spiral bound. Right? The thing is just like, and it's laminated. You're like, it just takes you like, the, the waitress can buy like, you guys know what you want yet? Of course we don't. There's 123 desserts on here. Right? We love dessert menus. Because of what we get out of them. This is how we should think about the list of spiritual disciplines. We don't think about it as a list of things to do. If you think about the spiritual disciplines as a task list, you'll just be frustrated. You'll always feel like you're never doing enough of it. Can't wait to get them over with, right? That's not the list of spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines, this is why I say these are, you think about this as ways to get more of Christ. This is because I've seen the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and I want more of him. And he says, these are the ways to get it. These are the ways that God has graciously laid out for us in the Bible. Pathways of grace, as it were. God has promised to bless, to give us more of Christ in these things. So we look at this like a dessert menu. Give me more. I love this list. I want more. Are there more things we can put on it? Because God has promised his grace. As we practice these things, as we train ourselves for the purpose of godliness, God will richly pour out grace into our lives. That's a spiritual growth plan. That's what we need. We need more of Christ so that we would be transformed. He says here in these verses, you know, if you just look down, we're in 1 Timothy 4. We read 7 through 10. He says, to this end, we toil and strive. And I just want to close with this. To this end, we toil and strive. The, the Greek word there for toil, agonizomai. It's where we get our word for agony. It's this painful struggle like some of you in the mud pit yesterday. Right? You just get this look on your face like, I'm going for it. Come on! You're toiling and striving towards the goal. He says, to this end, we toil and strive. What end? To train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And he says, because... We have our hope set on the living God. There's a mindset here where we're agonizing over our spiritual growth, but in the process, I'm not like a runner who's too concerned about whether my shoes are tied. Right? I'm looking to the finish line. As I toil and strive for spiritual growth, my sight is not on myself or my holiness or my sin. My sight, my hope is fixed on the living God. That's why Hebrews 12.1 describes sanctification as running with endurance the race that's set before us, right? It says what? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, as you think about these things, remember, this all boils down to knowing more of Jesus, seeing more of him, enjoying more of him, beholding his glory in his word. It's not about earning his favor. It's not about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps to be a better person. This is about getting more of Christ. And as we do, as we take these spiritual disciplines home from camp, begin to put them into practice, right? That spiritual high might be a little bit more difficult because you've still got your little brother nagging you, right? But it's there because you're pursuing Christ. You're drawing near to him in his word and in prayer and in fellowship. These are the pathways of grace that God has promised to meet us in. So let's pray that he'll help us. Father, thank you that you have been so kind that you, you have not thrown us this hand grenade called life and told us to figure it out for ourselves. God, you have clearly revealed yourself to us in your word. You have clearly laid out for us how to be saved and how to grow as Christians. And that's what we want, Lord. I just pray for the hearts of the students here, God, that you would mightily work in them. Let them be the kind of people who don't look at the spiritual disciplines as tasks that need to be accomplished, but as means of grace to get more of Christ to enjoy you more fully, to see you more deeply, 
to behold your glory more fully, and in doing so, to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Lord, I ask that you would help them to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness so that they can say with the Apostle Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. Nevertheless, I worked harder than any of them, but it was not I, but God's grace within me. Father, let that be true of our lives. We would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.